0: The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. All right, I'm ready, baby. Let's go. Hey, it's me. For the second time on the Paul Leslie Hour, we're welcoming Robert Davi, most known for his acting. He always stands out. You've seen him in such films as The Goonies, the Bond film License to Kill, Showgirls, we could keep on going. Robert considers himself a singer first and foremost, as do I. Personally, I had the great pleasure to see him in concert. It was on Sinatra's 100th birthday, so that was December 12, 2015. Tonight I will not forget. He's a recording artist. His album "Davi Sing Sinatra on the Road to Romance" was produced by the late Phil Ramone. It's one of the albums I come back to again and again. Most recently. His love for Sinatra is the subject of the new documentary film, Davi's Way, directed by Tom Donahue. It chronicles his quest to recreate Sinatra's historic main event concert at Madison Square Garden, which was a television special and live album for Frank Sinatra. It's an excellent documentary. And on this show, every week on the week of December 12th, I like to have a guest with a Sinatra connection. Robert Davi and I were brought together by our love for Sinatra, and guests come and they go. It's usually like two ships passing in the night, but I believe that I will know Robert Davi for the rest of my life. It's a great pleasure to welcome you again. It's great to be with
1: you again, Paul. You're doing a a wonderful job, as always. And I always like to say, to me, you're the modern-day Dick Cabot, and... uh... (laughs) I, I I will always say that, and uh, I think you you do a terrific job, and your your shows are someday going to go down in history in terms of this wonderful catalog of the great artists and engineers and musicians and just a whole cacophony of of interviews you've had that span uh, this wonderful music that we all love.
0: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you. So going back to this film, Davy's Way, you wanted to recreate the historic Madison Square Garden concert. <laughs> what made you want to do that?
1: Well, it was seminal in Sinatra's career. It was his comeback. There was such an excitement. I remember growing up and being in New York in the 70s when this Madison Square Garden, the main event, was going to be They were talking about the main event and then watching it on TV. And it was just, I mean, he was always, Sinatra was always performing and and successful. But this was a huge comeback for him. It was something that, you know, you know the story about Jerry Weintraub and how they put that together?
0: Tell us. Tell us the story. But do you know it or not? No, I don't know.
1: Okay, so then if you don't, then most of your listeners may not. Yeah, this story was told to me directly by Jerry Weintraub at a, a restaurant in Los Angeles, a very well-known spot. Spot Sinatra would probably hang out in, 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 if he was around today, called Craig's which is on Melrose. It was at a time of Sinatra's life when he was a little bit, I guess, uh, he was doing Vegas and, 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 of course, successful in doing concerts. So Weintraub was telling me the story that he gets a call about 7 in the morning Knowing that Sinatra was playing in Vegas at the time, and that he just probably had gone to bed seven o'clock in the morning, he was probably hitting the uh, hitting the bed, and he was talking to him, and he could tell by the tone of his voice that he was he was perhaps I don't know if depressed, but frustrated. Something in his voice. So Weintraub hangs up and decides to go to Vegas. He times it to go there about to get there about five o'clock at night because he knows then Frank has to start getting ready for that night's show and waking up about then. So he goes there, meets him in Vegas, and he has a conversation with Mr. Sinatra saying, and and Frank says, you know, it's the same jokes, the same songs, the same this. I need something else. There's something. And Weintraub knew that. He says an artist like Sinatra always needs. You need another milestone. You need something else to keep you going, you know, and uh, not reinventing oneself, but to get the creative juices always flowing and exciting. He says to him, well, I got something for you, Frank. I'm working, I'm working on something for you. Now, Weintraub was a young guy, he wasn't really known, but he had done something with Elvis Presley and very successful with Presley. So Sinatra kind of was looking at him for something like that and Weintraub said, well, you're not that kind of performer. You're not, you're not county fairs and, and this, he says, no, you Sinatra, you Sinatra, you're, you're, and just waxing eloquent. He had no idea. He kept telling Sinatra, "Let me work it out. I've got it, but I'll tell you in a little bit." And Sinatra kept pressing him, and he finally came. Well, it's it's Frank Sinatra, Madison Square Garden, in a boxing ring, the main event, and just that's how it was created. And and Sinatra goes, "Yeah," and he got his interest. He goes, "The main event," and and why don't you go and no rehearsals. He says, "And no rehearsals." He says, "You got a deal." They shook hands. Now Weintraub not doing television, and and the caveat was live television. It's going to be on live, the concert. So now Weintraub leaves that hole, leaves Sinatra, and he doesn't know a thing about what to do really. He he was now panicking because Madison Square Garden, live television, cut to, he puts all the elements together. Hence the main event launches Sinatra into another kind of uh, uh, momentum in, at that particular time.
0: So how did you get the idea that you wanted to pay homage to this and, and, and do it yourself?
1: Well, because the idea of a boxing ring to me, and what other way to pay homage to Sinatra? Did you ever hear the, uh, the beautiful rendition? I don't know if you've ever played it. And you should sometime. I've done it on my shows and if I had it, I would give it to you now. when Gregory Peck capsulizes Sinatra's career in the form of of almost like a boxing match,
0: yeah, I know what you're talking about.
1: you know that so I love that that was always so poetic you know and uh, and uh, he, how he how he was the scrapper how I mean the whole thing of it I wish I remembered it all. I have it somewhere. I didn't think about pulling it out today. Otherwise, I'd I'd read some of it to you to give you the idea of it. But that story said to me the whole thing about Sinatra and that speech that Gregory Peck gave. And I felt that the main event, I could do a main event where I would have other artists come to Madison Square Garden and give their tribute to Sinatra that night in the way, in the boxing ring, tributing this giant of a of a of a entertainer and that was my dream that was purely my dream there to have that uh, and i thought that i could you know maybe pull it off maybe it was too ambitious to pull off and maybe i you know i didn't have enough i think a tony bennett could have pulled it off you know what i mean yeah. he wanted but i didn't have that clout in the singing world yet really to say hey i want to mount this and do it and phil ramone knew of my idea and wanted to do it you know he passed away. But it was like, if Phil was alive, I think we would have pulled it off.
0: The night of the concert, the subject of this documentary, how would you describe to our listeners that night? What words would you use?
1: How do you mean? The night that I did that? Yeah. That I, It was uh, frustrating, unsatisfying, compromised, Um but also there was some great music still in the dock They don't use some of the, I mean, there's, I sung a ton of songs and there's some great, great, I mean, I have the, I was listening, actually I was listening the other day cause I'm, I'm going to put together, I think a live album of all my, of, of uh, compiling probably a two CD thing of my, my shows from Melbourne, Australia to, to Macau in China, Estonia, Latvia, Sweden, Budapest and this live performance album. And I was listening to some of that. It's really terrific, some terrific stuff in it. So, but it was uh, musically, it was, it was good. But, but in terms of what happened, it was not, was not great.
0: When you looked back and you saw the documentary for the first time, what did you think watching the documentary? I had to
1: uh, let go of my ego because I knew going in that I didn't want it to be a sanitized piece. I could have had it, to, you know, be a, a nice little commercial for myself, and be um, and and, and, and not, not I wanted to show in the in the documentary, you know, you hear so many ways of how Sinatra was, or how this one was, or how Barbara Streisand is in terms of the difficulty artists have. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. On the set and things demands. We hear about this stuff over and over again. But no one really peeks in and sees the behind the scenes, the unmasked talent. And I wanted this, I, if I was going to do this, I wanted it to be unmasked. I wanted it to be raw. I didn't want it to be shiny. I didn't want it to be a facade. So I wanted it to be, you know, so that's where, uh, you know, the frustration with kids and life and, and and the whatnot of it all.
0: Now, you just mentioned that you didn't want a sanitized commercial for yourself. And I have to say, what makes the documentary so compelling is that just that, it's hey, here's what happened. Was there anything that you did want taken out? Or you thought about it? Well, I wanted them to use different songs. But,
1: again, the, uh, and some of the cuts, some of the some of the music, and I wanted them to put more stuff in about the the voice and how Sinatra... I wanted a more historical stuff about the process of Sinatra as opposed to, you know, intertwined with m- the process that I that I did. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah.
1: It's hard to decide what you want in or out now. I mean, I look at it, and I just got to live with it. You know, I have to say, okay, go. I mean, the, the, the thing that he keeps going in, in terms of he keeps hitting over the head, you know, you know his face, but you don't know his name, which is true in some ways, some people. And, and, and also, I wanted them, it was more of what was omitted, because at that time, I did the Italian version of The Voice. I did 5,000 people in Estonia, Latvia, Sweden. They should have had a camera follow me around at those moments to juxtapose the other stuff. So the audience would be prepped for a big main event. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And and also things that were, were, were not in. The reason why I didn't do the film with the kid. You know when he asked me to come and do his film?
0: Yeah, I remember.
1: Yeah, well that led to him changing his whole script. The reason why the character wasn't for me, and I said it on camera, but they didn't choose to use that, and I understand why, is because the character they wanted me to play was gay bashing, basically. And I didn't want a cliched character. That did that, but it made it look like I was just being an ass to the kid. But that's not the reason. And that led him to changing the the whole idea uh, of his piece. But that was the. And then the other thing was I had everything set up. They moved the date on me all of a sudden, as you saw in the film, we were supposed to go towards Sinatra's birthday, December 12th. I wanted it on that date. And I had venues already lined up with boxing rings. So we would have had the infrastructure that if we didn't get Madison Square Garden to already have the venue I wanted with the infrastructure we wanted. And uh, so this is, to me, it was more of what's omitted in the film than than what I would want taken out.
0: Something that I kept thinking about again and again and again when I was watching the film, you and I are kind of, I don't know if the right word would be poetic types. In other words, I've noticed you a lot of times will say, or you'll mention about the nostalgia of certain things, dates, places. I watched in the film as people just kind of stared at you blankly, like they just didn't get it, the meaning of certain things, because things do have meanings. Do you feel like the world is kind of losing its poetry?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I had a conversation like that with my little son, my 17-year-old son. Last night, he goes, Dad, I like that era better. <laughs> he does. I was showing him a Marlon Brando film. And he goes, and, and I was showing him, uh, what else? Another film that was a classic. Oh, A Wonderful Life. His really first foray into Jimmy Stewart. And he just was blown away. He says, nobody acts like that today, Dad. And I said, well, that's how music is, now everything else is. It's kind of cut together, and I mean, no, they're great talents, don't get me wrong, wonderful talents, amazing people doing creative things. And maybe I'm just, I just think the music that, that of, of that era, uh, for me, is uh, is what's in my blood. You know, to try to, I mean... To, to, to find new ideas and new ways, like I did with your, th- uh, you know, This Town, as you know. I don't know if you played it on your show yet.
0: I haven't, but this might be a great opportunity to do that. Tell us about this direction that you're going with your sound.
1: Well, it's not any, it's it's just expanding on it a little bit. I collaborated with uh, David Thomas from Take Six, and he arranged the, This Town with me and another track. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to release an EP from Sinatra to Davi, which is just, I mean, I'm just expanding the, the I mean, the, my repertoire, my shows are much, the, the repertoire is expanded, not just Sinatra. I probably do a Bojangles, you know, that's, that's uh, and, and, and some other tunes, some Willie Nelson. I mean, uh, but doing my style, even a Lionel even a, a Smokey Robinson song. That I do, but but with my, you know, with with how I would handle it, and putting that into the shows, which uh, are quite satisfying.
0: Very interesting. So, somebody at one of your future shows, they might hear one of these songs. Like, were you referencing Mister Bojangles? Absolutely. How cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could.
1: It's probably a, a stunning rendition of it. I've at least I've been told, and and the. It moves people greatly, because i reference it historically, of course.
0: I think something that maybe people wouldn't know about you is that your musical interests are not just limited to the American songbook and Sinatra. I remember listening to your radio show, and you were playing in the background a Sia track. (laughs) You told the guy in the booth, you said, hey, would you turn that up? I want to listen to this. And you played it. And tell us about some of the diverse music variety that you like.
1: Well, Paulie, I love everything from Gustav Mahler's Symphony Number no. 5, the other job, to, you know, I mean, Mahler and, and Beethoven and all the opera world. And even the current day, like you said, see it. Anything that touches me and moves me. And, uh, I mean, it's, there's a wide variety of, of music. It's very eclectic. You know, I like uh, the piano of uh, Eric Satie. There's, so there's a r- strong reference point. And I guess, I guess what's keep, kept me current with the music are my kids. I have five kids and another one on the way, actually. But I've got five kids, uh, and um, each decade I've grown up with their music, mixed in with my music. Now, the interesting part is each one of my kids love what I'm doing. They love the Great American Songbook. There's not one of them that doesn't love that music. And I think, I just have to say that I think each generation, it it, it continues on. I've said it before. I think Lady Gaga was very smart in terms of changing her career because you weren't going to hear Poker Face in 50 years. And I used to say that in my show. Before she did the, sing, the, the the album with Tony Bennett, I, I, I jokingly said, you know, she, you're going to hear the poker face, but in 50 years, what are you going to hear? You know what I mean? And it's interesting. A couple of years after that, and I said this in quite a few shows, so I'm wondering, you know, it's so interesting. She came out and just said, hey, watch this. But <laughs> uh, Yeah. So, yeah, I love the eclecticness of music. I often think it keeps you up. How, How can you combine it with the current day or with the classical? Because I think now the Great American Songbook can be considered classical music, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. On that note, if you could sing a duet with anybody today, anybody living, who would you sing a duet with? Well, of
1: course, you know, you got, you got, I mean, I mean, it would be great to do something with Streisand to Tony Bennett, you know. I mean, because just the iconic stature of that, you know, I mean, I would think, I would think something there would be, uh, because of tradition, you know, the tradition of, I think that would be a very interesting, uh, but there's other collaborations that would be very, Interesting, some modern day collaborations that could be interesting. I forget the name of the artist. One of my kids recommended one time. I forget who she was, female singer. Interesting singer. She's an interesting and I forget who, and modern day, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, if I think of it I'll I'll text you it at some point, but yeah, but after that, I mean that that
0: that's who it would be. It was just uh maybe, I don't know, two weeks ago, maybe less. I saw for the very first time Bob Dylan in concert Oh, did you see him? Did you go backstage? I didn't go backstage (laughs) Try? I didn't try I showed up for the concert I was absolutely drenched to the bone Freezing (laughs) Interesting story on how I got there But I enjoyed the concert Very, very much And A lot of the listeners might not know this, and a lot of them probably do, that Bob Dylan has been interpreting the American Songbook, his last three studio albums. And he did a studio album. The first one, Shadows in the Night, there was a music video. Great music video for the song The Night We Called It A Day. Fantastic song that Sinatra recorded. And the actor who appears in the music video is Robert Davi, our special guest. So how did you come to encounter Bob Dylan?
1: Well, I think his people were looking for someone to do the video with. And he's a, he's such a student of film and a student of music, of course, and he was doing the thing. So I think the idea of having me in the video, him liking my music, Dylan liking my Rendition of stuff, perhaps, and or uh, of the people that that knew him. I don't know, but he and I became great friends over four days of uh, filming together, seventeen hours a day. Actually, he said to me one time, I don't know if he meant it or not, but he said I, I taught him more about acting than anyone in his life in those uh, few times, which was kind of nice. Very. But he was great, and he's a very, he's a huge student of stuff, and. Uh, of the of the music and it's interesting that he chose the tribute sinatra
0: yeah getting to meet bob dylan what did you think of the guy what was your impression of him
1: i felt him be kind of started a little bit and then once he opened up it was a whole other thing concerned professional and uh, fun, good sense of humor.
0: <laughs> Interesting.
1: Yeah. So there was that. I mean, we had some fun moments. You know. I mean, I remember when they um, there was a certain he was trying to communicate to the director a certain shot that he wanted because Bob Dylan is a huge fan of the film noir. He loves film noir. I mean, a major fan of film noir. So he, he was going to do this thing. He kept showing, he kept looking at, at, at the camera, the tape. And I had to communicate to the director exactly what he wanted, that he had to change the angle, change the framing, because the director wanted to put his spin on the, on the scene. But Bob wanted this classic way. I want this. You know what I mean? So I had to say to the director, no, no, you don't understand. Don't put your spin on it. Just do exactly this. And I said, all right, here's what you have to do. Do this, do that, do this, do this. And that's it was just interesting what happened. That's all. He said it worked before. He says it's classic. And uh, that was an interesting take into Dylan, you know what I mean?
0: Hmm. And anybody listening, they can watch that music video. It's, it's definitely online. And it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's a great movie set to this great song.
1: Yeah, it's a cute little film noir, you know, the femme fatale and everything. <laughs> he and I buy the affection of this girl.
0: Yeah. This question comes from Karina.
1: Give him my best, please.
0: <laughs> I will. He gives his best. She says, love him and waves. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> your question is what has been your strategy? How did you manage? To not let Hollywood do what it does to so many people. I mean, on this show, I've had so many guests who tell me about how Hollywood, the the words they always use is, it will chew you up and spit you out. How did you keep on trucking? How did you manage to beat the odds?
1: Well, I don't know if you saw that Clark Terry documentary. You ever see that?
0: I never saw it, no.
1: Isn't that uh, keep on keeping on?
0: What's it called?
1: It's a he's an American trumpeter, and Q Quincy Jones did a documentary on it on him, and um, it's uh, it's about the it's about the process, and when you think of those great masters in jazz, the great masters in all kinds of uh, whatever it was. It was the the medium of expression. It was what they had to express and how they expressed. And uh, it's keep on keeping on. And you just have to keep going. You can't let them put you out of the game. If that's what you think, that's going to happen. You know, I I feel that my exiles are self-imposed at times. And then there's a flurry of activity and then something happens. And that just is the span of a career, you know? I mean, how long do you want to... And and if you have other interests, that's what's important, you know? For me, the music is... uh, And I'm still filming. I mean, I'm doing... I've got the TV series now, Paper Empire, I'm doing. I've got the the, the new film coming out, Appalachian. I've got another film we're finishing up called Mott Another film I'm going to be starting in January called Big Life. And like I said, the TV series. So it's, it's uh, did you see Your Move yet? I did a film called Your Move. You should watch it. you in Korean. You'd like it. It's a cool film. Luke Gust directed it. First time. It's a thriller. But it, it's, it's, I don't think of the, uh, the uh, you keep, you don't think of that, uh, you keep thinking of deepening yourself as a, as a spirit and as a talent. And, um, yeah, the town can do that to you. More, you know, more so politics can do that to you. But uh, it, 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 it can be can be harsh. But keep on keeping on <laughs> is a pretty good statement.
0: What do you think people get wrong about you? Wrong about me? Well,
1: some may, some may not. I think uh, until... You know, until uh, I mean, that's a difficult question to ask me, because it could be, you know, it could be a lot of things they get wrong, depending on what they they know me as or seen me as. If they're just judging my film career, and they're not seeing the acting, I mean, the uh, the, the music, or they've just seen a couple of performances where I played a certain kind of character, and not, for instance, the profiler show or other things, you know, it's one of, of, in some ways being underestimated. I think that's more of the, more of the thing, not, not having the, uh, in, uh, in some ways more of the, uh, no, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I don't know quite what to say to that. I'm rambling around trying to come up with some profound answer. But there is none. I mean, underestimation would be the most thing because I'm more of a Renaissance person, I think, than most people would think
0: that know me superficially. Hmm. I just want to kind of get from you what you think music can do, what the role of music is, and to get a little personal. I've been spending a bit of time in doctors' offices lately and there were times where I was really really hurting but then the music would come through the speakers and there would be just something soothing there's a, a doctor dr. David B Ferris the best most talented Mo surgeon in Atlanta and I, I just well okay. Mus- what kind of surgeon? Mose surgeon. What's a MOSE? MOSE is it's when they think that skin might be cancerous and it's a very specialized kind of doctor where really? they Yeah, it's like I'm probably <laughs> doing a bad job at explaining what it is, but it's like they take a layer, then they examine what they have, and they keep going until they think that the The problematic tissue is gone. So it might be several Is it a mole mole surgeon or mole? Moe's and it's spelled M-O-H-S, but it sounds like the the Mexican food chain, Moe's. Oh no shit. Okay.
1: (laughs) Okay. So so okay, so this doctor, what's his name again? His name is Dr. David B. Ferris. David? Like Ferris Bueller.
0: Yeah, P-H-A-R-I-S. Paris, oh wow. Okay, Did
1: he, uh, what is, so, so go ahead, so while you were doing this, what happened?
0: The music that he was playing, it was just, I found that if I could focus on the music, I didn't mind that I was getting cut <laughs> and stuck as much. Oh God, yeah, right. What if you found the power of music to be able to do?
1: Well, they know that it that it that it changes the brain chemistry. Music actually changes the brain chemistry. Did you know that?
0: I didn't know that.
1: It changes the brain chemistry. And it, it, it can release, I mean, dopamine and, and other things, but I, I see this people want to say, and this is one of the things I, I, I bring up in my shows, that we have to understand that how can we expect They don't want to say that the violence in our streets and in our schools and in our society, they don't want to, they want to go to to music. We know that it it has, uh, it affects the brain in a positive way, depending on the music. And that's all the research, scientific research. that. Talking about, again, the violence in our society, the kids in school, the disrespect. Well, you cannot tell me that listening to Bach or Beethoven doesn't give you more of an uplifted feeling as a spirit in your soul than some of the current music today that is uh, uh, I would say uh, destructive in in some of its interpretation and brainwaves don't you think? I think that's true you know so understanding that the music activates all these areas in the brain, and um, it, it has to uh, have a, have an effect that causes the dissonance in our society. The more dissonant the music, the more dissonant the society. And uh, that's why the Great American Songbook for me, or classical music per se, or any great music, has that, uh, and it started, you know, they said they made a big joke about rock and roll. All right, but when kids, are, you think of the rock and roll, the heavy metal stuff, that you just shake your head and slant stuff, you know? Yeah. What is it doing to your, you know, the neurological thing in kids? We're showing that now. And people don't want to study that. The music world doesn't want to talk about that. Hollywood doesn't want to talk about that. Society doesn't want to talk about that. The government doesn't want to talk about that. Music can make us feel good. And it can help reduce pain, like you said. It helps people recover from strokes it helps cognitives i mean there's a whole thing that they they've studied on music and tonality and, and and the whole nine yards of it all so it just is a, it just mirrors what's happening in our society so you're right to feel much better when you're listening to music when somebody's scraping at your face
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's affecting your a, a different it's accessing a different part of your brain than just pain the physical pain you're feeling at the moment. I could be depressed and tired, but after after rehearsing for two hours, I feel rejuvenated again. Exhausted, but rejuvenated.
0: The good kind of tired.
1: Exactly.
0: As I was mentioning at the beginning of the interview, it was Frank Sinatra. There's Frank Sinatra's music that brought us together. Yes, what does Frank Sinatra mean to you? Well he's
1: <laughs> he's not even Mount Everest. You know, you can climb Mount Everest. You can climb, you know, other you can go to the moon. But you can't you can't accomplish what Sinatra did. No way. Who? Who can do it? Who can do it? There's nobody that can nor will there be another person that could. And that's a monkey on somebody's back. If if you're holding that as the apex of it all, and you can't, you know that can't be reached. You can, you can, you can, you can get an equal footing with the concerts, the live world. You know what I mean? But to have the, 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 the song catalog, the continual song catalog, and the, just the intelligence of which he approached every Darn thing. The taste and intelligence, except for those years with Mitch Miller, which frustrated the shit out of him. <laughs> but the taste and, and selective intelligence. And that's why people, when they want to look at Sinatra, you hear people say, I, I, I know people that don't know Sinatra. They don't know his voice. They don't know his, they have some distant scent of what he may or may not have been or is. And it's very frustrating to me when I hear People talk about him sometimes, not understanding really the depth of, of, of uh, his artistry in film, in acting and in music. And, of course, then <laughs> the towering achievement he did for society, with charities. I think I, I, you came to that concert. Did I, did, I, did I do the Mr. Anonymous thing?
0: I don't think you did that.
1: Well, you know what? Maybe because it's his birthday. Maybe we'll do that today. How's that? You want me, to, want me to read that to you? That would be lovely. Because, and you can dedicate this to a, maybe a doctor or two that's out there that helps people.
0: Like Dr. Ferris.
1: Like Dr. Ferris. Because it's so important, our sense of giving in the world. Have you, have you ever heard it, the Mr. Anonymous?
0: No. No, I haven't.
1: Okay. If you've never heard it. It was written by a guy named Paul Keyes, and it was for the Variety All-Star Club party that I guess was done at NBC Studios. It was to build a wing for a children's hospital in in Seattle, and and the, all the, the greats were there, Cary Grant, Burrell, many people, and Richard Burton. Do you know who Richard Burton is? Oh, yeah. Maybe some of your listeners don't know, but he was married to Elizabeth Taylor, But he was one of the great actors and one of the great speaking voices of all time. Welsh actor, Elizabeth, he spoke like this. To begin at the beginning of the spring moonless night in the small town, he did Beckett. But he had a great, great sound, uh, Richard Burton. But anyway, he movingly acknowledged uh, the man that was called Mr. Anonymous that night. And these are the words. I have never sung song with Frank Sinatra, never acted with him shared his stage, nor been a member of an orchestra under his baton. We are, however, old friends of some 30 years, and I have risen to my feet to applaud his blazing artistry at numerous charity performances raising countless millions for the victims of the world. Frank is a giant. Among the givers of the world, he stands tallest. He has more than paid rent for the space he occupies on this planet. Forged as he is from the legendary loyalty and compassion carefully hidden. Hidden because he has ordered it. Mr. Anonymous, you have asked to be. Mr. Anonymous, you shall be called. At risk of further offending you, I appear as the herald of grateful multitudes who have opened those unexpected envelopes, special delivering answers to their prayers, Those awakened by late-night phone calls which remedied their problems only on condition they share your covenant of secrecy. Those who were surprised by signed checks with amounts not filled in. Those performers down on their luck who suddenly landed that role they never expected and still don't know whom to thank. And for untold beneficiaries of the caring and kindness of this splendid man, who truly is his brother's keeper. And they are legion. Those whose lives took a turn for the better because of this man. A street corner poet burnt to the bone with the fury of his own ambition, hoping someone would notice you. And they did notice you, Maggio. Thank you, blue eyes. God bless you, Mr. Anonymous.
0: That's the end. Great. Thank you so much.
1: So you've never heard that before, have you?
0: No, I never heard that. All the listeners out there, if they want more information, they can visit DaviSingSinatra.com. They can also find you on Twitter, at Robert John Davi. Do you have any parting words for our listeners?
1: I want to to keep listening and follow you wherever you might be and that um, have a wonderful holiday season merry christmas happy hanukkah and look for updates of where i'm going to be performing and uh, the show paper empire and the whatnot and then just stay safe and sleep warm <laughs> and god bless
0: thank you so much god bless
1: and be kind to each other you know i think it's time that we uh Try to find some more civility every single day. It was very depressing when I saw how during the Christmas shopping season, people were like pulling hair and and beating each other up over items, over things, over material things. Kind of sad, wasn't it?
0: Very sad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, God bless you and Karina.
0: Until next time.
1: Thank you. Until next time. Yeah, that's a great sign off. Until next time, huh?
0: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate this.
1: I appreciate it too, my brother.
0: Thank you for listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. If you enjoy these interviews, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the podcast. You can help us by listening on the free Radio Public app. The show can also be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or Overcast. For more information, visit thepaulleslie.com or follow on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, all at The Paul Leslie. The Paul Leslie Hour theme song is performed and composed by Jeff Pike. Outro music is performed and composed by John Goodwin. See you next time on The Paul Leslie Hour.